Hey everybody, welcome to XA Live, Chi Alpha at UNC. We're really glad that you have joined us, whether you're joining during the premiere of the video or later on as it's archived on our YouTube channel, we're really thrilled that you are with us. We're continuing tonight our series on the good and beautiful God. If you missed any of the other teachings in the series, you can come right here to the YouTube channel at any time and find those teachings as they are, they are recorded and kept here for you to, to, to watch at your own convenience. Uh, including last week's Let's Talk About Politics Pink Elephant Talk. That's also, if you missed that last week, come right back to the YouTube channel and you can check it out. Well, we do live in a challenging time, of course. Um, we're living in a time where the cries for justice have uh, multiplied and uh, been amplified. We are witnessing both a coming together and a, and a splitting apart in our country right now. Um, we're revealing both our potential, I think, for good and our potential for evil, if we're honest with ourselves. And in our imperfect way, we're all trying to wrestle with it, sometimes in healthy ways, sometimes not so healthy ways. Sometimes we're labeling people or, or really just wondering, where is God in all of this? But at the end of the day, we're just all trying to follow Jesus very well through what we are experiencing in this life. But you know, even with our best efforts, we realize pretty quickly we need some help. We need healing and fairness. We need really someone who's going to be outside of our situation that's opposed to sin. And I think in short, we need a holy God. Now, if you have asked the question, where is God? We're probably going to have to define what type of God and what type of intervention that we really mean by that. Um, often when we say that in situations like this or just in everyday life, there's two that come to mind in particular. The first is that the God of wrath or anger like he's just sitting, waiting for us to mess up. And the moment we messed up, he's going to judge us and condemn us and come down hard on us. Um, that's one way that we, we look at him. The second way often is, is kind of the opposite. It's like God is love. And, and if he's love, then, then everything's good. Everything's going to be okay. I have forgiveness. I have grace. And I can live however, however I, I want to live. Is he one or the other? He's probably some of both, but we're going to have to define this a little better. And where it all converges is in his holiness. The God that loves us, we need to understand this real quick. The God that loves us, no matter what we do, is not the whole story in this life. Hebrews 12, 29 tells us that God is also a consuming fire. Now, I'm sitting next to a fire pit here tonight because I want to illustrate this point to you. When the Bible says God's a consuming fire, it's not like the wildfires in California where a fire just rages out of control and destroys everything in its path. It's more like someone who works with, let's say, metal, puts the metal into a, into a vat on a hot fire, and uh, as the heat gets in there, gets into the metal, what happens is the impurities begin to rise to the surface, and, and the one in control of the process then skims off the impurities. And that process keeps going, heating and rising the impurities out and skimming them off until you can get the most pure form of that metal to be used for a good purpose. And that's kind of the process of God's holiness in our lives is He's applying fire to our lives, which is, can be uncomfortable, but it's a purifying fire. It's helping to bring out in us the things that shouldn't be there, the things that are detrimental to us, so that He can skim them off and remove them from our lives and ultimately walk in purpose and value that He has placed on us. Oftentimes, though, we, we kind of shun that idea of the fire 
purifying us. And we try to reconcile the anger and love part by, by saying that God's anger was taken away by what Jesus did for us, by Jesus being willing to die for us and, taking, and forgiving our sins. And therefore, we don't really have to care about our sin anymore because God, um, God's just kind of taken it away. And now God's been replaced in our minds almost like uh, a teddy bear type of God, right? A warm, fuzzy, always loving. But the hard reality is that's not a biblical God. That's not even really a loving God. And if we take an honest, hard look at the heart of mankind, at our own hearts, we see the potential or the existence of so much darkness. And because of that, you know, if we had a non-judgmental, non-wrath, teddy bear type God, He'd be powerless to do anything about the injustice that we see in the world today. He'd be powerless to do anything about the darkness inside each person. Now, in order to understand it a little better, I think we need to make a distinction between passion and pathos. What that is, is when we think of passion, we think of like passion within the, the framework of a romantic relationship, right? Where two people are in love and infatuated with one another and they can do no wrong. Or in an anger context, someone gets so angry that it just boils over into rage and they're out of control. That's not really the type of wrath when we think about God that we're talking about either. God's wrath has as its foundation pathos. What does that mean? It's very different. It's mindful. It's objective. It's a rational response. You see, God's not indecisive when it comes to evil. He's not emotional, but He's not up and down and all over the place. He fiercely opposes, though, the things that destroy His people. Hence the process of purification and becoming holy. Wrath is not a permanent attribute of God like love or holiness, which are an essential part of His nature. Wrath is contingent upon our sin, upon human sin. If there is no sin, there is no wrath. God's wrath is a temporary and just verdict on evil. Wrath is not something He is, but it's something He does. I really don't want a God that is indifferent to moral evil, is indifferent to racism, indifferent to justice, indifferent to sin. We need Him to be that holy God. If you've been out marching in the last few months like I have with my kids, or if you just watched it on television, you know the slogan, no justice, no peace. And if that's your heart's cry today, um, if you really want to fight hate, if you want to fight the darkness of the soul, if you want justice um, amongst us all, then you're really asking for a couple of things. One is you need an impartial judge. I need an impartial judge. Secondly, we have to be willing to be judged ourselves, just not the people that we, not only the people we think that deserve judgment, we have to put ourselves in there. In essence, we are asking then for a holy God, someone who does not and will not play favorites, someone who never tires in fighting for good and against evil, and someone who has the power to set it all right. That is a holy God. Now, if you're not still understanding fully what holy is or holiness is, let me frame it a little better for you. The Bible says God is holy. The Bible also says, by the way, be holy as I am holy, and we're going to address that now. Holiness means purity. It also means free from corruption, free from sin. And in 2 Timothy 2.21, we get a very practical application of it, which is to be set apart for honorable use. This speaks both to being able to trust God and His judgment while also calling us to live to the same standard. 
God calls us to holiness. He calls us to the essence of who He is and who we are to become. 1 Peter 1, 14-16 puts it this way, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Kind of begs a question, doesn't it? Well, what then? I get that God's pure. I get that God's free from sin and corruption. He's holy. But how can we be holy? Because we know how imperfect we are. The difference between God and us is, of course, that He is inherently holy. On the other hand, we only become holy in relationship to Christ. And we increase in practical holiness in our lives as we mature spiritually. Holiness is a divine attribute of God that He has called us to receive and participate in for our betterment and salvation as well as for others. James Bryan Smith puts it this way. He says, God loves us so much that He longs for us to be pure and works tirelessly to make us pure. You see, God is against my sin, not because He's against me. He's against my sin because He's for me. And if I am for sin, God stands against those desires because they cause my destruction. The process by which we are increasingly transformed then into His holiness or into the image of God as we were created to be is called sanctification. And what's the point of sanctification? Well, 2 Corinthians 7.1 in the NASB translation kind of puts it this way. It says, since we have these promises of salvation, of justice, of peace with God, those are, I'm adding those parts in. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. How does that play out? Three ways. The right now, by pursuing the process of perfecting holiness in our lives and becoming more like God, we lead a better life, we lead a more just life, we become more Christ-like, and we bear more fruit that matters. The fruit that we find in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 that many of you are very familiar with, that includes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control among the others. Secondly, not just for the now, sanctification, the perfecting of holiness in us, is for when we are actually to be judged. At that point, we all want to be found innocent, right? Not only by the forgiveness that we receive through Christ, but by resisting and putting to death sin in our lives as we lead up to that moment as well. And then thirdly, the perfecting of holiness in us, the consuming fire of God, is preparing us for the next life. By having joined your soul with God through the outworking of your salvation, and here's the kicker that you might be waiting for, with God's help. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God doesn't just say, be holy, live up to this impossible standard and good luck. And if you don't make it, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to condemn you. He says, no, I'm going to help you. How does God help us to walk out this holiness? Well, first of all, we have the scriptures themselves that are basically an instruction book for life to, to show us the way to go. Secondly, God came and lived amongst us in Christ to, to model the example of holiness for us. Thirdly, He gives us His Holy Spirit 
that will, so that He will help us to understand what we read, to illuminate things for us, to, to give us guidance and counsel in this world that we may live up to that standard. And then He also gives us each other, that we can be accountable to one another and help us stay on the path to holiness. Ultimately, what we see in the New Testament is that it emphasizes the pursuit of holiness in this world and the final attainment of holiness in the world to come. Now, I want to wrap us up right here. Romans 11:22, I think, gives us a pretty good idea of what we're talking about here in terms of this nature of God and the outflow of it and how He interacts with us. It says this, Paul writes, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. God is both kind and severe, both forgiving and judging, both loving and holy. And that is what we have to take to heart. We don't get to cherry pick and take the parts only that we like. We've got, if we want justice, if we want peace, if we want to be treated fairly, we have to accept the holiness of God. And at the end of the day, you don't want the opposite. You don't want an unholy God. Someone who says it's no big deal. Racism's not a big deal. Injustice is not a big deal. Sin is, who cares? Sin is taken care of. You don't want that kind of God. It says guilt just stinks. You know, you don't want to feel guilty. That's fine. This God would not love me. Being soft on sin is not, is not loving because we know sin destroys. The love that is most attributed to God is the, comes from the word agape. And what that looks like in real life for us is like a parent's love for a child. I've got two kids that are trying to walk out this life, follow Jesus, do well, be good people, and I'm trying to help them. That means I have to hold them accountable. That means I have to be a consuming fire in their lives. I have to try to bring out the best things, that things might go well for them, that they may be the people that God created them to be. And that's my challenge for you and I this week. I want to finish with this and give you a little bit of spiritual homework, if you will, spiritual training as we've been talking about. Romans 6, 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean? These are the questions for this week. What does it mean to be dead to sin? What does it mean to be alive to Christ? And what are some areas or ways that we can perfect our holiness this week? That's my challenge to you. It's a hard one. It's a one that most of us don't want to wrestle with, but it's a necessary one if we are to see all the things in ourselves and in the world around us that God desires for us. Hey, I want to say to all of you, we love you. I want to extend a greeting to you. I know a lot of you have been uh, off on your own this week and in the weeks past. We love you. Peace be with you. Can't wait to see you next week.